So <clears throat> when Andrea spoke last time, she talked about delusion, very helpful way, and the three distortions of perception, uh, the third one being the distortion of perceiving um, a sense of intrinsic self-existence where there is none. So I thought I'd just go off and talk a little bit more about that. And really, I've been thinking uh, when I was on retreat a couple months ago, kept running through my head this one of this very well-known line from Dogen Zenji, um, one translation, simple translation. Um, to study the Buddhist way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by the 10,000 things. It's nice, huh? What the hell does that mean? But it's nice. <laughs> so I was going through my mind, that's kind of like, to me, that's the framework of what I'm talking about. Whether that translates to you guys, I have no clue. But So just beginning with something that I love talking about is just uh, exploring what we see as we, just through steady awareness, not to go looking for, but but recognizing again and again how this distortion of perception arises and uh, gets us all confused, this particular one about sense of self. And of course, um, you know, it's resting on what Andrea talked about, when there's uh, any of delusion, there's going to be greed or hatred or delusion. With greed or hatred, there's always delusion. There can be delusion without those two. But when any of those are present in the mind stream, in the consciousness, in the awareness, and not recognized, it's impossible for uh, the perception, for the awareness to recognize accurately what's occurring, what's happening. And the Buddha says that over and over. You know? So this really, in some ways, is uh, the most poignant, I think the most poignant aspect of tanha. The Buddha talked about tanha, or thirst, whether it's wanting or pushing away, fed by delusion as the second noble truth, the cause of our suffering. It's really the, the point is uh, there's the obvious suffering of just the wanting and not getting, but really the, the, the poignant deeper one is that it's, it's obstructing the clear recognition, which as I spoke about the other night, that clear recognition is simply what allows wisdom to arise and the mind and heart to just put down the burden of wanting and aversion and getting so lost in this me, me, me. It's really poignant. But without recognizing that that's what's occurring, as Andrea said, the perception's distorted. And as a quotation from Anais Nin, the French writer, that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. And it's really like that. We just don't recognize what's going on. So she spoke about that a lot. So in terms of how that works in the sense of self, the, the personality view, which is clearly, I would, to me, this personality view, Sakaya Ditti, is of the three Vipalasas, the one that's the most um, deeply entrenched the one that really is kind of beneath all the other sufferings. And it's just so frequent, so familiar. I mean, it feels like home, doesn't it? We don't always like our home, 
but it feels like home. And so keep on going back there, keep on recreating and believing it moment after moment. But it's not that there's something real, sense of self, and you all know this, but I have to say it anyway. It's not that the sense of self, the ego, is some real existing thing that when you finally hit into accurate recognition and uproot every strand of clinging in your mind, then you'll finally get rid of this nasty sense of self. Ah, It's just another conditioned phenomenon, a rising experience like anything else. As uh, many people say, it's, it's a concoction that arises due to conditions, due to perception, due to contact, due to feeling, due to the thoughts that come from it. There's distorted perception, then distorted thinking, and then views, Sakaya Ditti, the personality view, which, you know, the Buddha gave it such importance that he said of the three fetters that are seen through uh, in, the, in the early Buddhist way of talking about the four stages of awakening, one of the three fetters is Sakaya Ditti, seen through understood not to have self-existing intrinsic existence. It doesn't mean the sense of self stops arising. It just means sooner or later we, <laughs> the awareness understands it again. <laughs> then it arises again. Then it understands it again. So really, um, as many people say, and I want to bring in some other voices, not just mine, that the sense of self This is Ramana Maharshi. He says, the ego is like a ghost caused by the play of shadows. If you look closely, the ghost vanishes. The ghost was never there. So also with ego, with sense of separate self. So long as one does not look closely as it, it continues to give trouble. But when one searches for it, it's found not to exist. That's how it is. Dingo Kensi Rinpoche. How do we investigate the nature of mind and the root of samsaric delusion? The very root of delusion is the thought of I, the habit of clinging to the notion of self. And this notion is simply due to a failure to investigate. There's no such thing as a truly existing autonomous self. We fabricate this concept in the same way we make up all of our other thoughts. Then, after constructing this self over and over again, we get so used to our invention that it seems to really exist as a distinct entity. And once this thought has deeply taken root, we demand that the self should be happy and comfortable, enjoying wealth and pleasures, If it could be the center of the universe, that would be the best. This attitude is the very basis for our wandering around and around in samsara. But, you know, it's not just because we're we're stupid and stubborn, but the the habits and the the way that the kalesas do their job and the frequency of how fast the mind works, you know, just uh, feeds into this arising over and over again. This is really the biggest suffering, this concocting, the sense of me, the sense of I. 
But that's really what's happening. It's just arising in any particular moment due to particular conditions. It arises, it exists, it passes away. If you remember reading probably years ago, if you've been practicing Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, it's like one of the early books that we all read. It has so many wonderful one-liners kind of in it. Anyway, the one that, this hit me. I think I was on retreat when I was a nun in, in Thailand and just happened to, you have, happened to have one book. This is the book I happened to have. I don't know how I had it. It was a long time ago. But so different lines of that are like burned into my memory in a really like uplifting way. And this one line, which he says, oh, where does I want to get it right? Where did I do with it? Just one line. Every existence is a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. I love that. Like each moment of existing is just a flashing into the world. It flashes and dissipates, flashes and dissipates. That, I don't know, that was just so real for me at that moment. And so it's the kind of when you have an insight like that just stays real. That's what the sense of self is. Just like any other moment of existence, it's just a flashing. Conditions come together, it flashes into the universe, and it dissipates when the conditions change. And it seems so real and solid only because not investigated. Or in, in the terms of how we're practicing here, with really steady awareness, there's no way not to recognize this is happening. Not every moment, but frequently. That's the power of the, some continuity of awareness. We see the conditions coming together, doing their little job, and falling apart. So as Ajahn Sumedho says, you know, we create, we're creating the world through our perceptions, our views, through the mental formations that come, and then it falls apart when we recognize with awareness. Sumedho. So then the self arises. I start thinking about myself, my feelings, my memories, my past, my fears and desires, and the whole world arises around Ajahn Sumedho. Can you relate to that? Although it wouldn't be Ajahn Sumedho your world arose around, right? It takes off into orbit. My views, my feelings, my opinions, I can get caught in that world, that view of me that arises in consciousness. You recognize right there was the shift of attitude from this is me to it's simply a view arising in consciousness, simply another thought arising in awareness. If I know that, if I recognize that, then the refuge is no longer in being a person. I'm not taking refuge in my personality or my views and opinions. Then it lets go and the world of Ajahn Sumedho ends in that moment. Again, I think that's another important like habit that we tend to take refuge in our views and opinions, you know, as Andrea talked about, when not even recognizing their views. Even more, we take refuge in being a personality. We may really dislike our personality, wish we had a different one, but that's still taking refuge in the personality. So as Ajahn Sumedho says, then the world of Ajahn Sumedho arises simply it can arise around any sense contact 
all day long, just the slightest sense contact, the whole world of me can arise, you know, just as he describes it. So like the rain this morning, wake up hearing gentle rain, and immediately as a sense, it's really pleasant, lying in bed, listening to the rain, which could just be a perception. But then the mind is so pleasant, and it's really nice to be able to lie in bed. And it's lucky it's not a big rain. It's just a little rain, not like the hurricanes they have in the South. It reminds me of times as a child when I went camping with the Girl Scouts, and the rain on the tent, not the time it, it, it washed us out, but the time it was a nice rain on the tent. And I really, But, oh, no, now I have to get up. And that, do I walk up there? Do I take my car up there? Is it going to rain later? Was, and, just like that, right? That's like a matter of two seconds. Less time than it took me to say it. That's not a particularly... I mean, we wouldn't necessarily notice that without steady awareness, would it? Because it's not a big flashing of obvious suffering or intense joy. It's just a simple little moment. How many little moments like that are in our day around any sense, including mental ones, including a thought or a memory, the whole sense of me arising. With steady mindfulness, with steady awareness, this presents itself, this reveals itself. We can't really, if we're steady enough, if awareness is steady enough, you really can't hide the fact that these arisings of self come and go and if you're really looking, it's a, it's a different self, isn't it? Each time, different feelings, different emotions, different thoughts, unexplored, unexamined, or when there's like, pay a little bit of attention to it, then you don't pay attention when it goes away. Then there's awareness when it comes back, but there's not awareness when it goes away. That's how uh, the wisdom mind doesn't arise, doesn't see the impermanence, doesn't see, like as Ajahn Sumedho says, how the sense of Ajahn Sumedho fades away. So I've told you that little story about the rain. I don't remember noticing when that particular little sense of carol went away. Because without awareness, you know, sort of half aware, right? But I was doing things. So it shifts into then you're taking the shower, you're doing this, you're doing that. And without, you know, the awareness, it doesn't have to be really intense focus. But without the steady awareness, you know, the habit of, of just assuming this is a steady me, just is kind of running in the background. So it felt like the steady Carol doing all the different things she did and coming up. And how many different ones in today? It's innumerable. When it, it doesn't have to only be noticed on retreat, but it's certainly a lot um, more supportive opportunity to see that just because there's more space and less doing. I certainly notice when I'm doing and having to do the next thing and that habit of the mind reaching forward that it's just a little easier to overlook this subtlety. But it's not a, it, we don't have to overlook it. It's, it's really, really obvious when we do look. So we notice the arising, but we notice the dissolution. As Buddha Dasa talks of Ajahn Buddha Dasa, the birth and death of self happens hundreds and hundreds of times in a day. And we can notice that. And then there are many other moments in the day when the mind, heart, consciousness is empty of grasping. And these are his, his words, empty or void of grasping, of sakaya ditti, of the sense of self. There's many, just as we talked about in another context, moments that are just cool or plain or neutral, nothing special. Steady, steady awareness also notices those. 
you know, and Buddha Dasa's language, and it's not exactly what we're doing here, but he talks about importance of noticing the birth and death of self, but equally important, of course, it's all equal, right? We notice everything equally important to notice the moments of just simplicity, of coolness. He talks about, he calls it voidness, and that's how it's translated in his book, um, to generate a contentment with these moments of voidness, of emptiness of self. And that's really interesting, going, look, really being equally present and interested with the neutral. It's come up in a, in a couple of the groups, you know, and I think I mentioned it in a talk, but a few people have mentioned it from their own experience, seeing how, maybe they had to track it back, I'm just going to say it in the order it would have happened now, seeing how when the experience of the mind, the mind is present, but it's a, a little bit neutral or calm or nothing special, and really seeing how, in my language, the, the, the mind kind of whips something up. It brings up a, a, not even just a pleasant fantasy, an unpleasant fantasy, because it's a little juicier. It's like, because it's me, really, that sense of me, and somehow we really, I think I said in a group, get like addicted to that little sense of oomph about me. We don't, we don't want it to go away. And some, that's just a habit. I'm not saying we don't want it, but it's familiar. It gives us a sense of me. Where would I be without the sense of me? It's from Ajahn Sumedho. Did I bring it? Yes. So when there's not those moments of voidness, generating contentment, when there's not a sense of self arising, you could call that recognizing non-grasping. Because essentially, the sense of self arises when there's a moment of clinging or grasping to that particular sense experience or the pleasant feeling or the thought. You can feel that, I can feel, that contraction, that sense of limitation, that sense of clinging come in right around. So the rain, very simple, pleasant thing. It didn't have to go anywhere. As soon as it's like, oh, I like, and Girl Scouts, it's not a huge contraction, but it's limiting. It's smaller. the Buddha said in one of his suttas, and I, I don't have the uh, reference right here, he's talking about the limitless, measureless quality of measureless mind and heart. And he says, the kalesas, greed, hatred, and delusion are makers of measurement, makers of limitation. You can feel that. You can feel it as soon as there's that contraction, like a contraction of self. But somehow it's just so familiar, it's a habit. Ajahn Sumedho. As one begins to realize or recognize non-grasping as the way, then emotionally one can at times feel quite frightened by it. I want to say it's not necessary to feel frightened by it. It's not like that has to happen. It's like a huge relief, okay? It doesn't have to be frightening. But it can happen. It can seem like a kind of annihilation is taking place. All that I think I am in the world all that I regard as stable and real starts falling apart. But if we have the faith to continue bearing with these emotional reactions and allow things that arise to cease, to appear and disappear according to their nature, then we find stability not in achievement or attaining, but in being, being awake, being aware. And I like that. It's really the sense of finding 
our stability in the inherent calmness of awareness, not in any particular experience. So this maker of measurement, there's one way that Sony Rinpoche talked about it. really can get a sense how the clinging sense of self, this, this distorted perception thought view, is a kind of a measurement. So, uh, Sokni talked about how in uh, Tibet, I guess, when they're measuring to make the footprint of the foundation of a house they're going to build. So they start like in what would be the middle and they have a, a piece of rope, you know, that's like the, what's it called? The diameter. <laughs> the diameter. It's been a long time since I did geometry. The diameter. And then they measure it from here all the way around, you know, how wide it's going to be. And he says, that's what we do with a sense of self, with a sense of me here. And then every momentary perception is measured back to the sense of me, me perceiving this, me wanting, me not wanting. Just the simple sense of me that immediately makes the measurement of other. And just seeing how that's the habit. You know, and we kind of laughed about it in some of the groups, how, how so immediately... The simplest little thing, where do I sit when we sit down, can come back to what does it say about me, and it's all about me. And it's really quite, it's fun to watch if you're not taking it personally. And it isn't personal, it's really seeing. These are how the habits of mind work. So there's many, many moments in a day with the arising and the passing where we can really recognize the not-self, but also recognize when there is a sense of self, that's also equally empty of self. It's not like that's a real thing, as I said in the beginning, that we have to see through. It's simply another conditioned phenomenon that's arising due to a sense of clinging at a particular experience, and then the interpretation of that as being me or being mine. And then that interpretation, that thought, comes into a view, a belief. Like this, Andrea said, we don't recognize it. We don't get a neon sign. View is arising. I think I'm a self, you know. It just, just feels it's true. That's how it is. We don't question it. But we can really see it's just arising due to lawful conditions and causes. It dissolves when those causes change, and it's also just nature. So in a way, I kind of love watching when the sense of self comes and when it goes, because first of all, seeing it takes the sting out of it, but also just seeing how much it comes, how strong it can be unseen. And seen, it's just, again, it's just perception and vedna, you know, feeling tone and thoughts concocting this whole story. And 10 million stories in a day. I mean, when you look at it, it's no wonder we're so tired so much of the time. Because we have this story, and then we react to it. And then we think, how are other people thinking about me? And everybody that walks by, what are they thinking about me? And everyone else is thinking that. My God, you know, the energy that's going around in here. You wonder sometimes, one time on a... Sometimes over at the retreat center, because there's so many more people. So there's more energy bopping around in there. And I remember one three-month retreat about November, so it was two months in. And you, you, you're, you do your own thing when you're yogis. You may not have a sense 
of how it is on like the on the staff teacher side. There's a lot of energy roaming around in that. And as you know, sometimes it's a little bit identified with calaces. That does happen sometimes. I remember, but anyway, I remember one time years ago, I was out somewhere and I, I came kind of, I wasn't really paying much attention. I, I came bopping in, in the front door. I opened the front door and I just kind of, like the energy was so strong. I opened it and I went, whoa, I felt like it almost like knocked me down the steps. <laughs> oh, I better, you know, bring my awareness in here, walking into here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so something goes on anyway. Oh, I wanted to read this. The fact that even the sense of self is an equally valid, it's an equally valid object of awareness. All objects of awareness met with awareness are equally valid objects for wisdom. They all exhibit the Dharma, all the same aspects of of impermanence, of not-self, of unreliability, of nothing to rely on. They all show the same kind of emptiness of intrinsic existence and the same opening into the purity of awareness. This is Dingo Kensi again. This troublesome ego, which is so concerned about itself, has in reality never begun to exist. It does not exist anywhere now, and so it cannot cease to exist. Not the slightest trace of it can be found. When one recognizes this empty nature, therefore, any notion of there being an ego to dissolve vanishes. And at the same time, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns, uncontrived and effortless. Here you will see the unity of emptiness and compassion. I just love his kind of absolute way of describing things. But that's how it is when the awareness, wisdom mind, satipanya, uh, mindfulness, wisdom, mind, really sees that there never was and there isn't now. All that clinging in that moment dissolves. And it doesn't just leave us like a, a, a blah nothing. Really, when we see in how we're practicing here, when the awareness is steady and wisdom arises and the kalesis aren't being fed, You've, many of you, you see how, not that, it, not that as an act of will, the kalesa, the wanting, the aversion, the confusion vanishes, but when there's just this momentum of awareness and wisdom just recognizing, it may slowly dissolve the kalesa or it may just vanish. And it's really not a sense that you did it. But that doesn't just leave like an empty nothing. What's really in the big picture, big picture I mean of our whole lives, is the steady cultivation of the steadiness of awareness and wisdom is that what naturally occurs is also lawful, the Dharma, is that the wholesome arises when the kalesa aren't like making so much noise. The wholesome arises and wisdom mindfulness feeds the wholesome. This is lawful. So that's really what Dingo Kensi Rinpoche was saying in that moment of wisdom, really recognizing the absolute emptiness that never was, isn't an ego now. It just, in that moment, the, 
the energy that's released from the clinging, from the holding, from the concocting and holding to it, naturally goes into compassion, metta, equanimity. So that's, I don't mean that as a hook to make it worth exploring, <laughs> but it does happen. So I was thinking, though, again, it kept coming up in my mind when I was on retreat, which is really why I was thinking this, to study the self, to study the Dharma, to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self, to forget the self is to be enlightened by 10,000 things. I was thinking how noticing in my own practice, but also from talking to so many people, in a period of intensive practice, say a retreat like a month like this, it's, I mean, it's different for everybody, but there can be a kind of a, a general trajectory, you could say, although nothing's, of course, linear. But in, in early days of a retreat, the content, I mean, we're still cultivating steady awareness. It doesn't matter what the content, but the content, I find, tends to be more on the personality level of things. If you know you come into a retreat, the stuff you've been doing at home is more, just the thoughts are a little more engaged in our everyday life. But also, um, in really seeing, and this is a necessary and important aspect of practice, there's a great deal of practice where, with the steady awareness, what's naturally being revealed is uh, aspects of our personality patterns. A lot of you have been saying that. And it's very insightful and very liberating. We're seeing our, our personal conditioning. Maybe we haven't recognized some, from some of our past experience how that's affected habit patterns and emotional patterns that arise with frequency here and in our lives. And we start to see that. Or we already thought we knew it completely, but we information comes up and we recognize it on a deeper level. But, and it's really interesting. And, but it, with awareness, it's not like this isn't, isn't is equally important practice because awareness is able to recognize, wisdom is able to recognize this. It's fascinating, but we can, can see it on the level of how the uh, conditions, right? The conditions that are coming together to create this particular mood, this particular habit. And even, even though it seems like it's all about Sakaya Ditti, all about me and my personality, if you really look when there's mindfulness and wisdom, it's, it's, that's the content, but it's really seeing the process. The process of conditioning, the process of how that works, and then when there's wisdom that notices, there's often a moment where the knee-jerk reaction doesn't have to happen. Do you know what I mean? Am I making sense? Like I noticed for myself that it was really kind of fun to watch. Just watching the conditions roll out automatically when there's the particular trigger. Just a silly little thing I wrote down when I was on the retreat when um, I was aware. I was pretty aware. And my, my phone vibrated. And I was like in quiet, didn't want to talk to anyone. So immediately, this is all like 10 times faster than I can say it. I wrote it down because I wouldn't remember it all. The phone vibrated, there's immediately, oh, who's calling me? I get all these, all these you know, phishing phone calls. I should call the, the do not call, but I did put it on the do not call. Why are these all happening? I don't want to answer it. And there's this, this immediate aversion, very solid, very solid me, just like that. Maybe a second. 
And then awareness came in and just, oh, wow, look at that. Just a vibrating phone and this whole habit pattern of carol and aversion in a particular state came up like that. You just punch the button and the whole thing rolls out. (laughs) And it was, but as soon as there was awareness, the whole thing dissipated. And it was kind of really interesting to see, as Tomato says, you know, awareness breaks the chain of events. So instead of going on or saying, oh, what's the matter with you? You should feel compassion, blah, blah, whatever. Oh, look at that. Press the button, bloom, it comes out. Awareness is here, it dissipates. Really fascinating. And that is really not about taking it as a personal thought, really seeing the causes and conditions that give rise to a sense of self, and then the conditions change, awareness comes in, they dissipate. It's nothing to get upset about, but it's really interesting to understand. There's a lot more wisdom and a lot, there's the chance for that condition not to be so absolutely going to take over every time. Once we see it, once awareness, wisdom sees it, the next time it happens, if there's a modicum of awareness, I mean, it'll happen and there isn't, but then awareness will come and you'll see it. There's a chance not to react with the aversion, not to react in that way. This is really equally important objects of awareness and leading to wisdom, not just personal wisdom. Sometimes, I mean, it's, it's when it's happening in our practice, it's really interesting for sure. But sometimes people can think, well, but that's okay, but we're still on the personal level and we want to get down to the nitty gritty. I just want to see, I just want to see perception and vain arising, you know, and I just want to see how the thought comes up. I don't even, I just want to see dependent origination coming. I don't want to be bothered by all these personality patterns. But as um, Dingo Kensey was saying, it's equally empty. It's just a different content. We, it with mindfulness and wisdom with right attitude, we're really seeing the emptiness. This is from Tejaniya. We see that, he says feelings, but here he means emotions and feelings. So we see that emotions, although being experienced in the moment, are there or here because of past causes and conditions that are having an impact in the present moment, right? That's really what we see. Take I don't know about you, but I find that my mind, I'm veering off from Tejani here, I find that my mind takes emotions so personally, especially unpleasant ones. Even when I absolutely know, I guess it's not absolutely, I think I absolutely know, I sort of absolutely know, but not absolutely yet. Emotions are just as he's saying, they're causes and conditions, they come together. I know they're gonna pass, I know they're gonna pass, right? When you're in the middle, of that despair, or just that aversion again, or that hot flash, and you think, I know this is going to pass. I know it's going to (laughs) pass. But the belief, part of the emotion is, it's going to be like this forever. Like it's Tejan because that's the emotion doing its job. I'm going to be here forever, so just get used to it. Anyway, so we see that emotions are just arising in the moment because of past causes and conditions that are having an impact on the present moment. But we need to remind ourselves that it is a process. It's natural. And so we just recognize that it's natural and allow ourselves to observe it. So we need to appreciate that we are actually aware. 
even when it seems you're in the midst of a difficult emotion, appreciate that we're actually aware. And to initiate awareness rather than complain about the experience. This is practicing right view. And so I think talking to a lot of people in the last couple of days, going through you know, difficult emotions or some turmoil or just another uh, condition habit like mine with the phone, and feeling, yeah, I know there's some mindfulness, but it keeps going. And you, know, you can feel the sense of kind of discouragement or not really recognizing that mindfulness awareness is quite activated. But that doesn't necessarily mean the thing stops. It just means it gives the consciousness the ability to observe it, to recognize how it's working a little bit better. You know, it doesn't mean it stops working, but really recognizing that you can activate awareness. And it can be flipping back and forth, right? Especially with strong ones. But just, just keep remembering awareness. Take refuge in awareness. Not because I hate this thing, and if I take refuge in awareness, it'll go away. That's not refuge in awareness. That's aversion. But <laughs> just recognize, oh, it's like this now. Just recognizing that. <laughs> like the tomato talked about it. So calling this studying the self is also part of our process of purification and the part of deepening understanding. Then at other times in our practice, and this is in retreat or daily life, it can be that the same habits are coming up or the same emotion. I mean, they're not the same. They're similar. Of course, there's a different time. But it's patterns that we really recognize that previously or at another time, it really felt like they were being met with, with right attitude. You know, there's a brightness in the mind, the interest. You really, you know, you know what I mean, what I was talking about. But later, the same things can be coming up. But this is where moving into to study the self is to forget the self. Where it's coming up and it's just kind of like, eh, I really don't need to go there. Not out of aversion, but out of really seeing at this point, it's an old habit, like a shadow of an old habit arising. And we could jump into it and go down the whole path, but it's actually completely unnecessary. In that moment, there's enough awareness, wisdom, you know, I really, I don't need to feed that. Change the channel. I give it, and this happens naturally. I'm not saying you should do that. But like example, some years ago, I wasn't on retreat. But I was sitting in, I don't know what was going on, but the, the, the habit of self-judgment and self-hatred and you're not good enough. And sometimes it's just thoughts, but sometimes it comes in like this really heavy cloud. I can really feel it coming before I recognize it. It's already there, I mean. I feel it. And it kind of just sense like a, a, a negative tinge over everything, and it's really heavy. So I was seeing this coming in, seeing why, just watching it. And then there's like a, a, a habit, a, a belief, really, that it's here. So to be wise, mindful, I have to really be with it, note it, feel it, not avoid it, name it, feel the heaviness, feel, you know, like really be there. But then some piece of wisdom came in and it said, do I? Uh, but I actually completely know 
all the antecedents. I know why it's coming. There's no personality reason I need to explore this. So I thought, what if I don't go, oh, it's so heavy, heavy. Hatred feels like this. Just, just say one line of metta. And it was like that. It was like a, a wise. It was that sense of relaxed awareness, not aversion. Let's just say one line of metta. Not, I got to do metta. It's gotta, just say one line of metta. Okay, I said, may I be happy and peaceful. And like the whole thing just dropped away. Not the metta, the other thing. <laughs> just dropped away. So yeah, may I be happy. It wasn't like I, you know, I went into the bliss of oneness or something, but it just shifted to wholesome mind state. I said, oh, that's actually, when there's wisdom in the mind, it's not that we have to follow out the personality seven million trillion times ad nauseum. It is empty. In that moment, the emptiness is apparent. Let's cultivate the wholesome, and it's right there. And you know it's possible like that because it is right there. It's not like you're fighting about it. But there's other times, of course, when just the whole um, personality stories just isn't what's arising. This isn't like it's better. It's not like you should make that happen or linear. But sometimes it's just like that. It's like it's enough already. (laughs) That stuff loses its interest, completely loses its interest. You know, like sometimes the Carol story is the most interesting thing going. And other times, oh, really? You know, one time I was doing a retreat, like a three-month retreat, and I had seen a movie just prior to that retreat. I don't know if any of you have had that unpleasant experience. You should really pay attention to what movies you put in your mind before you come on a retreat, I tell you. So this was some thrillers, uh, some Harrison Ford, The Fugitive, I remember. So I was like, I was sitting there and like, the Carol story's going, and then Harrison Ford would start and all of that. And then my story would start, then Harrison Ford would start. Then after a while, I realized it was, it was equal. It was just images and thoughts and emotions coming up, you know. One wasn't more or less me than the other. <laughs> the Carol one was less interesting. But I really, <laughs> I really saw it. It's just conditions coming together, and it's a view that makes whatever was going on with the Carol story, I can't remember, more seeming more real, you know. So we can really start to explore that and... Uh, that kind of forgetting the self is partly when it just isn't arising. That happens naturally. But also when we can just see we don't have to feed that interest in me. Sometimes there's a, a belief we have to explore it too much. Ajahn Sumedho made a, an interesting comment in one talk I was listening to of his. He was, of course, talking about awareness. And he says, you know, awareness has been available to us since our childhood. But we just don't recognize it because we've been so absorbed with attention into ourselves. We're absorbed into attention into our bodies, our emotions, our personality, etc. He says we're obsessed with ourselves. And I can see that, right? We're just, it's so interesting that there's any other object, but ourselves is usually the most compelling one, that we just don't notice the possibility of awareness. And so this sense of forgetting, forgetting the self. It's interesting though, he, he kept on talking about that. You know, he uses the, um, I use his phrase a lot where he says, it's just like this now, as a way of just 
relaxing, surrendering into just what is. And I, as I said, I, I use that frequently myself. And I notice when I, when I use that, when it's helpful as a, as a helpful wisdom prompt, is when I'm feeling all caught up and, and circling around something. If it's just unpleasant and I know it, that's okay. But when it's, somehow it's all confused, it's all coagulated, usually caught up, identified in some way. So it's like this. But then he goes on to say, and I totally related to this. He said, when I say it's like this, I used to try and see why it's like this. But now I just go, it's like this. Because the trying to see why would take me into analyzing. It would take me back into the whole world of Ajahn Sumedho. And I, I really have found this so frequently with myself. And this can be more, not so much when I'm in the Carol story, but at times when you know, the Carol story can come up in the background, but, but I think I'm just looking at subtlety and practice, and I'm looking at Sanya, and I'm looking at Thetan, and I'm looking at how things come together, and I'm just seeing the emptiness and seeing awareness, you know. But somehow, it seems like I'm, I see the clinging come, I see it go, and I think I'm mindful of it all, but it's feeling like it's getting more and more and more tight in some kind of ball or something, right? And it feels like I'm mindful. It's not spacing out. You can't see why. So trying to see, it's like this now. Like what? Well, there's clinging. It's like this. You know? I can really see. It completely takes, takes me into whatever's going on. It's like this now, without trying to analyze, without trying to see what. Because with that awareness, this is Samedo again, awareness does not get involved in the sankara. You know, Sankara, the mental formations, everything that's going. Awareness isn't trying to figure them out at all. It's radical. You relate to that quality of awareness. Okay, it's like this now. How? It doesn't matter. You don't need to know. Is it clinging or is it aversion? Who needs to know? Who wants to know? It's like this now. No, I have to know that. I have to know how it works if I'm caught in clinging and I don't know it. I'm going to get caught more and I better see it. It's like this now. Tightness. Boss. And the awareness isn't getting involved in sankhara. No need to fix the self. No need to improve the sankharas. No need, this is just a made again, no need to do anything. It's like this now is again taking refuge in awareness. He calls, this is Sumedha though, he calls awareness the escape hatch from samsara, from birth and death. So in that moment, he's calling that moment, "Ah, it's like this now, an escape hatch from samsara. Samsara, the wanting, the, the spinning, the trying to figure it out, just, ah, it's like this. In that moment, nothing's born and nothing dies. That's what he's talking about. It is, I find it, at times, really hard to trust that, that radical surrender, in a way. And, and some of you have talked here, when, when the awareness is, it's available, but we're, we're not so completely absorbed. It doesn't have so much momentum, the times when the trust is easy, you know. But it isn't always that clear, and the trust isn't always so easy. And we think, ah, oh, it's like this. But I've got to figure this out. This awareness is so feeble. What awareness? You know, and then we're off on it. So to really determine, as Ajahn Sumedha says, to trust awareness 
in those moments is really what, uh, in a way, is strengthening the habit of freedom rather than the habit of identification, forgetting the self. But just to acknowledge, you know, it's a really delicate balance between recognizing the emptiness, the non-personal, conditional, contingent nature of all of our emotions, of all of our conditions, of all of our personality patterns, not just some of them, all of it, to recognizing the emptiness. It's a delicate balance between that and what's sometimes called spiritual bypassing, you know, or delusion. Oh, yeah, right, I know what that is. Subtle pushing it away. And so this is something, you know, I just want to mention it so we can just have an awareness and explore it in our practice. And I'm not saying I have the last word. I just want to make a couple of comments about that. So in terms of recognizing the emptiness, the conditional nature of any, uh, say, strong emotional experience, that doesn't mean not feeling it. But it means it's not an identification, it's not resistant, we're not caught up in the all about me. It's one of my favorite quotations from Dingo Kensi about that. Thoughts and feelings have no intrinsic solidity, form, shape, or color. So when a thought, a feeling of anger, arises in the mind, in the heart, with such force that you feel aggressive and destructive, is anger brandishing a weapon? Can it burn things like fire, crush them like a rock, or carry them away like a violent river? Just the anger in the mind. He's not talking about the body acting. He says, no, anger, like any other thought or feeling, has no intrinsic self-existence not even a definite location in body, speech, or mind. It is just like wind roaring in empty space. So instead of allowing wild thoughts to enslave you, realize their essential emptiness. So we feel it, but we just let the wind roar in empty space. That's really kind of how it is. When you can see through the hatred within, you discover there is not a single enemy outside. But I just like that line, the wind roaring in empty space, really seeing that. So it's not that recognizing the non-personality, the emptiness, it doesn't change what's occurring. This is Tanisaru Bhikkhu, Tan Jeff. Emptiness is a mode of perception a way of looking at experience. It adds nothing to and takes nothing away from the raw data of physical and mental events. So it's really present with what's going on. We may get information from it, we may not. But you can tell it's not um, bypassing is not delusion because you can see there's that that quality of wise attitude. There's a kind of a brightness and interest in the mind. It's not contracted. It's not closed off. We can start to recognize that. And the bypassing, or it, it can be 
obvious, you know, just illusion. No, I don't want to feel that. That's not happening. Denial is an amazing force. Have you ever noticed what an amazing force it is? Like if you, for example, if say you get in a, a relationship and then some years later or whenever it's later, it ends. And when it ends and you think, wow, look at all those qualities in that person. And if you think about it, those things that don't like that led to the ending. And if you think about it, you knew that. You knew that from the first week those things were obvious. You know, that's, it's really amazing. It's totally amazing to me, the power of denial. So it's tricky. We're not always going to see through it. And so it can look very similar. But there's this can be gross or much more subtle quality of just a little bit pushing away. So the difficult thing or the, the, the habit pattern comes up, and we're sort of mindful of it. Like you could name it all. Or like when I was describing about the self-hatred, I could name it all. But if it had been a bypassing, it would have been, okay, I know all that. I don't need to go there. Let's go do something else, you know. But the quality in the heart-mind, the quality in the awareness wouldn't have that brightness. And it wouldn't just automatically vanish. It would just kind of push it away and go somewhere else. It can be a very, very subtle habit of aversion, of not seeing This is where I think we're starting to see through this if we are at a time, because we flip back and forth in this kind of bypassing or subtle denying, where our our steady mindfulness and all our years of practice and all the different traditions we do, where we're not picking and choosing, only paying attention to what we like or what feels valuable. The steadiness of awareness is giving us the power of what... uh, the British writer George Orwell called the, the power of facing unpleasant facts. And I think that's a huge liberating aspect of our awareness practice. Just give us the power of being present with unpleasant facts. And this is where the spiritual bypassing or the just pushing away a certain pattern, we don't quite see it because we aren't quite resting in that unpleasant fact. A simple example, again, I was on retreat, a self-retreat in Switzerland, staying in a friend's apartment near the meditation center where we teach. It's kind of up in the mountains, lower mountains in Switzerland, 4,000 feet, just not really mountains, it's hills, but pretty. Just walking, just walking on the road, regular road, farms around there. And you know, I was aware, nothing special going on. And uh, a lady uh, came approaching me and she had like some kind of pamphlet or something in her hand. So I constructed it later. I mean, this all took like two seconds. So she came up to me, says something in German, which I can understand some German, but my mind goes into like a kind of panic, you know, when someone says it. So I didn't get what she said. I could construct it later. And she's kind of showing this thing to me. And I uh, immediately... I saw later I went into some kind of, this is like Jehovah's Witness, and they're trying to put me into something, and I went immediately, I don't understand, I don't speak German, I said, you know, and I went away with like this aversion, just like that. That happened like in no time, just the habit coming, and that sense of, it's unpleasant, her coming at me with the thing, and I associate with Jehovah's Witness, I don't want to have to deal with her, and it's unpleasant, so push the whole thing away, get out of here, lady, and I went walking off. And, you know, one second later, I thought, oh, I kind of reconstructed what I thought she said, and I think she was asking for directions, you know. (laughs) Definitely wasn't Jehovah's Witness, you know, and I felt really bad. But I saw, I really appreciate it, because I could see, 
at the, even the awareness came in after, I could see again how that whole pattern comes. I respond out of that. And the response, if I hadn't been aware, the response is really, I don't want to feel that discomfort of this person asking me for something. I can feel that, you know, when you're driving and there's all these, all these, so many more people these days standing on the highways, on the, on the intersections with signs that they're homeless, they're vets, they don't have jobs, they need money. And I mean, it's just heartbreaking. And I can see that same habit come up in my mind. I don't want to have to interact. I don't want someone pushing in my face. And so the bypassing, in a way, going with that habit is just bypassing being able to be with the unpleasantness of just feeling that awkwardness, feeling that. But awareness lets it, okay, you don't need to. You can, you can really have the power of being with the unpleasant fact. This person's putting this thing in your face. You think it's unpleasant. You don't even know, you know. Can you hang out with that? Can you just hang out with that? And then we're not bypassing anymore. But you see, it can be so subtle. No, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. Go away. And we don't recognize that it's just a habit of avoiding. Okay, that's all I have time for. So I'll just end by saying those are just some things I want to drop in about looking at the different ways of studying the self and forgetting the self and opening to we enlightened by the 10,000 things, meaning what I said, Doug had said earlier, the truth is right where you are. Where else can you expect to find it? And it doesn't mean we don't feel or don't care or lose our personality, I'm sorry to tell you. Um, you just get like, like more who you are in some way when you know it's empty. And uh, so just with two quotations that teach that. The, the line from T.S. Eliot, teach me to care and not to care. Teach me to sit still. We care, but in a different way, from a different angle. And sometimes it's even more, even more deeply touching when it's not personal. It's not that we don't feel things anymore. So I'll just end with my favorite um, haiku from Isa. He wrote this on the death of his young daughter. Uh, he said, uh, this dewdrop world is a dewdrop world. And yet, and yet, that's how it is. Thanks for your attention. Just to sit quietly for a moment. So let's end our evening together with the generosity of sharing the merit and then clarifying your own aspiration. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.